to this Reg Bednet interview with Danny Cabrera, who is the co-founder of Biopots, a biotechnology company launched in August 2014 that specializes in technologies for 3D bioprinting, including desktop 3D printers, software, and bioinks. Hi, Danny. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be a part of the show. How does an early career researcher go to founding a company and being on Forbes 30 under 30 for manufacturing and industry in the space of a few years? Um, well, I mean, it's been it's been a lot of hard work, and I've uh, I've been very lucky to to be surrounded by an incredible team of uh, people that are that are really passionate about the area and the the field that we're working in. Um, but uh, you know, our story our story is really starts off with um, right after I graduated from college, I, uh, I started working with my co-founder, Ricardo, um, on, on building these, these 3D power printers, those technology that we had been working on while we were in school. And uh, we, you know, we were really working on them in our, in our dorm room um, as, as we were students at Penn. And after graduation, started uh, working more intensely on trying to actually commercialize the systems and uh, really trying to partner with uh, some incredible scientists were willing to, to work with us and give us great feedback about um, you know, how we could make the devices better and how we could really improve the technology to make and have a larger impact on the industry in general. And by working with so many different people and such a diverse, um, such a diverse audience and really having people who have invested in, in us both time, energy, and money, um, that's, that's how we've been able to do it so quickly. And, um, and we're really excited um, you know, to be working in this, in this field with, with all the people that we're working with. Oh, that's great, thank you. So a number of institutes such as Harvard and the University of Toronto are using your products. What types of tissues have been printed with your products so far? And so different different groups are, are printing different things and at this point, you know, we have devices in, in over twenty different countries and there's there's a huge uh, there's a huge variety in what people are doing. Um, even even within even within the different segments, we have clients in, in academia, um, we have clients in, in industry, people who are working in pharma companies and medical device companies and cosmetics. Um, so you can imagine that there's a huge spread. But um, some some highlights are we have we have a, a big uh, group of people who are working in, in cancer biology and trying to recreate um, sort of the, the tumor microenvironment using bioprinting and uh, really recreate and uh, recreate 3D tissues that capture some of that biology and that's uh, that's a very exciting area. Um, we we also have people who are working a lot on on hard tissue things like cartilage and bone and these this work is very exciting as well because it's um, these tissues since they're not since they're not vascularized. Um, they're they're a lot closer to, to becoming a reality. So we get into a point where they can actually be implanted back into people. Um, I mean, none, none of that none of that is none of that has happened yet. Nothing nothing has been implanted into people yet. But uh, there are some really exciting animal studies on the way. And um, and then uh, taking another another camp, uh, we have groups who are working on um, on soft tissue, building miniature basically miniature organs that can be used to to test new drugs. And that's also really exciting um, space. Because um, you know these these miniature tissues can end up saving big pharma companies you know, millions upon millions of dollars if they're if they're successful. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, the variety is is, uh, it's, is, is you know, the, the space is really really wide, and there are so many different types of tissues that people are working on that it's hard to choose just one. Obviously, the three D printing hardware and software are important for bioprinting tissues, but today we want to focus on the material side. Uh, what are the main materials you use? Uh, for example, do you use uh, natural materials, synthetic combination, and so on? 
Right. So I mean, it's um, and it's one, one thing that's important to, to realize here is that we you know, we're we're a technology company, so we we're focused on on actually developing the tools that that are empowering people to to do amazing three D biology. And although we we do printing internally, we don't focus on any particular application. And uh, at this point, our focus on on the material side is really creating a, a catalog of different reagents that uh, that groups can use to either mix and match um, to, you know, to, to figure out which formulations are going to work best for their tissue-specific applications, um, or simply to, to, to get involved in the space, to get introduced to it, and to have a, a great standard set of materials that they can use um, with specific set types and know, you know what outcomes they're going to have, sort of uh, establishing the first positive controls in bioprinting. And so within that, um, within that space, we, you know, we have, even up now on our website, about 10 different materials that uh, people can use, things like uh, polycarpolactone, thermal, thermoplastic, that uh, offers structural and mechanical support, um, especially when it's combined with some matrix materials. Um, we also use um, uh, gelatin as a sacrificial material and um, chloronic as, a, as another, chloronic F127 as another um, uh, structural support material. And this, this particular material gels at room temperature and dissolves away when it's cooled, so it's, uh, it's really the perfect support material for, for cell-based applications. Um, you know, we, we've also, um, you know, we also have some synthetic materials, things like, uh, like uh, PEG-DA, polyethylene glycodacrylate. It's, a, um, it's an engineered, it's a material that's been engineered to cross-link when it's combined with a photo-initiator, so you can actually put a cross-link and it uh, allows cells to be mixed in with a matrix that can covalently cross-link when it's exposed to light during printing. Um, and then, as far as on the matrix side, um, you know, we do we do a lot of work with um, with gelatin methacrylate, which is a, it's a gel that's uh, composed of denatured collagen that's engineered to cross-link when it's combined with uh, with photoinitiators. Um, and it's uh, I mean it's basically allows cells to be mixed in with the matrix and, and cross-link when it's exposed to light. Um, and then you know within that I mean if you if you you know like like those materials, we've got many more, and we've got many more in the pipeline. So we're not really focused on, on developing one specific formulation for a tissue-specific application. We're more developing at this stage the, the different reagents that the groups, I mean, most of our clients are material scientists and tissue engineers. So they have some of that expertise in-house. And so the bigger problem that we identified was not having a, a steady supply um, and a of consistent, consistently high-quality materials. So that was the first problem we wanted to address before thinking about tissue-specific formulations. So that is uh, definitely that is, that is in the horizon for us. Great, thank you. Um, so as you said, you've got Biomix for support, sacrifice, uh, matrix, and so on. Um, so what are the main considerations for developing these different types of inks? I mean, so there are a lot of things that, that we take into, into account. Um, even, I mean, and some of, most of this has been documented on our on our website under the Build with Life tab. It's sort of our, our wiki page. But, um, but, but we, we think about mostly, I mean, initially, initially when we start, but we think about the, the different printer settings um, or the print settings that we need to, to tweak or to really you know, stabilize or understand so we can get consistent printing of, of the material. And different materials have different printing parameters. So that's, uh, you know, there's all experimental phase where we're just testing the material uh, with different printing parameters and making sure that we can get uh, consistent printing at different resolutions. Um, and then, you know, after that, then different, I mean, after, after we've got that part figured out, uh, then there and then we started thinking about the cells um, and how, how do we actually incorporate the cells within the materials. And we've, um, 
Yeah, we've, we've got our, we have a pipeline developed, a sort of a screening pipeline where we can test materials for toxicity, see if they're going to be toxic to cells, and also test them to also do some, some more functional assays where we can study some morphologies and whether or not the cells are actually interacting with the material or simply floating around, whether or not they can grow with the material or crawl through it and establish their own connections. The screening parameters, one of the one of the key ones that we really like to focus on is, is cross-linking and how do we actually cross-link these materials. Um, as, as you can imagine, one of the bigger, one of the challenges in bioprinting is taking a material that's a, that's a liquid and usually has cells embedded and turn it into a solid without killing all of the cells. And there, there are a lot of different methods and a lot of different um, a lot of different ways to, to get that to get that to happen, and uh, some of the key ones that we focus on are are doing it using temperature, um, so actually taking materials and heating them up or cooling them down so that you can get them to crosslink. Um, we also use light as a so we're doing that, so adding photo initiators into materials and um, and shining lights on them so that they can they can crosslink, and, um, and we also do some chemical crosslinking. So those are. You know, figuring out how to get materials crossing may be one of the most challenging aspects of this, um, because sometimes there just isn't a clear way of doing it um, in, a, in a fast, you know, do, doing it quickly without killing all of the cells. And in that case, then you know, the material may just not lend itself uh, to bioprinting. Thank you. So I think you touched on it a little bit in your previous answer, um, but I want to ask you about the biocompatibility of your inks and whether or not ultimately they have the potential for clinical use. Um, right. Well, I mean, so part of part of the beauty of what we're doing is that we're we're characterizing and, and establishing and developing a supply chain for for materials which which are pretty commonly used in in tissue engineering and regenerative medicine. These have been FDA approved already for for different applications. So, um, so I mean, we we know that they're that they're compatible with cells. Um, I mean, obviously, some of the ones that are modified, not as much, but uh, but some of them that that are not modified, things like. Things like alginate or polycaprolactone, um, we're you know these these are materials that have been published extensively on, and um, and they have many many use cases outside of bioprinting. Um, we're we're just developing a supply chain uh, for them so that we can ensure quality for for our users and help them troubleshoot things as they as they get started in bioprinting. Um, so we we're not so concerned at this point um, with that since the materials that we're working with are are pretty pretty common and uh, really have been around um, for 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 decades. So do you think that ultimately sort of down the line you're going to work more towards having more specified biomaterials rather than ones that are perhaps a little bit more universal at present or do you think you'll kind of stay with that um, slightly more universal approach? Well, so I, mean, I wouldn't say that our bioinks are, are universal. They're they're really and really the best way of, of thinking or to think about them is to um, think of them as as reagents that they when mixed together form bioinks, um, and and they and you know mixing these reagents together, you can end up with tissue specific bioinks, um, and you know we we would like to eventually go down the um, down the path of developing tissue specific uh, bioinks. It just so happens to be that our clients are. Are you know are the leaders in the space? They're tissue engineers who who are working on building these tissues and working on building um, you know, tissue specific formulations. And by and large, you know, these it really hasn't been figured out. And um, so we're we're working hard with uh, with our collaborators and our partners to to, to begin to do that and, and to begin to figure it out and to begin to develop those uh, tissue specific things. So it is um this what we're doing now is just uh, sort of the first step in that direction. It's, uh, it's empowering our clients today. 
and working with them, um, we will be able to to develop these um, these more, as you as you call them, uh, tissue specific um, applications and develop products for that. Um, but um, but clearly, when that happens, the the users of bioprinters will change from being um, a true scientist or tissue engineers to to really growing into the cell biology space and really getting more cell biologists involved in how do you actually now stop thinking about how to fabricate the tissues but start thinking about how to, how do you actually use them for, for different applications and how do you characterize them um, under, under different conditions. Looking forward, how close do you think we are to printing functional 3D living tissues and what will help bring this about faster? Well, I, I mean, we're... Like I said, we're, we're building the, the tools that are letting people do that and empowering people to do that. Um, and we're, I mean, it's, it's happening. It's happening now. Some of these, I mean, depends on what you mean by functional, but some of these issues are, are being used in, in labs today to, to test uh, to test their drugs. Um, some of them are being tested in animals. Um, you know, nothing is going into the humans. So if that's if that's what you mean, then um, it really depends. It really depends on on the on the groups and uh, on the scientists who are doing the work. We're we're, you know, we're the manufacturing technology um, that's empowering people to do that. So we're, you know, our hands aren't as, I mean, we're, we're just not as involved in actually making that a reality. Um, but we do work very closely with these with these groups. So for things like skin and cartilage, um, the timeline is is much shorter. Things that aren't that aren't vascularized that don't have vascular vasculature inside of them. Um, this could be happening in the next few years for larger vascular tissues, things like lungs and livers. Um, it, it's, it's, it's really tough to, to say, but, um, but I would say at least a decade. Um, we're, we're still very far from understanding um, the biology of these larger organs or these larger tissues, um, and, and they're just very, very, very complex. And um, I, wouldn't, I would say even that the limitation isn't entirely on the manufacturing, but more on the cell biology and on the data science um, that goes into actually understanding how these tissues and how these organs work. So we're, um, you know, we're, we're building tools to try to help figure that out and hopefully accelerate um, or you know, reduce the time that it takes to get there. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Danny. Have you got any additional points that you'd like to add? Um, I mean, uh, I think, you know, we... You know, we really focus in a lot on the on the development of the bioinks, which is which is really really exciting area. Um, but it's really just one of the one of the areas, or one of the one of our, our company's key competencies. You know, we also you know, we we focus a lot on, on building the hardware um, that, that uses these reagents or using uses these inks, and we've uh, spent a lot of time going into that. So there's definitely a lot of room to talk about that. Um, and, uh, and the last piece is, is the software. Um, which oftentimes gets ignored by, um, by companies or by the people who are working in this space. You oftentimes just look at the end product. But the software is really the, uh, the workhorse here. Um, you know, all of these models and all of these, uh, all of these things are processed through just standard bits of software that can, that can really capture a lot of valuable information um, that over time, um, and over time that information becomes really valuable to researchers as they're trying to pull together um, all of their experiments and try to gain insights from them. So those are those are all things that, that we're working on, and all, those are all things that we're well, these are those are all tools that we're developing to help push this uh, this movement forward and help push this technology out into the world and help um, empower people to create functional living tissues that can that can be used to uh, develop new drugs and new cures for diseases and eventually eliminate the organ waiting list and, and even beyond that start thinking about designing and engineering um, entire new living things. So that's, um, yeah, I mean, we were really excited to be a part of that.